Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Viv, and during the week, guess what? I'm a teacher. It's a conspiracy of teachers this morning. And it's also been a bit of a conspiracy for me, an unplanned one, I have to tell you, because I've been teaching for a very long time. Scott was actually um, one of the students in my Year 12 class, my very first Year 12 class. Um, Great to hear your story this morning, Scott. And Dave and Kylie, I've actually taught them as well. (laughs) Um, So, yes. It's, it's nice to be amongst friends, I hope. Over the years, there's been opportunities for students to encourage me as a teacher. And there was one particular point in my life where I had been teaching for seven and a half years and I was about to finish up that era of teaching by moving overseas with David And I was pregnant with twins at the time. And my Year 12 class did something very special for me. And I'm not sure if Kylie ever remembers this, actually. It was her class. They made for me this little box. And in this box are words of encouragement. Each student had written encouraging words about me on these little scrolls. Do you remember, Kylie? Yeah. So I took away with me, because I took this in my suitcase to Canada, it sat there with me over those two years, and as you can see, I still have it today, because it was highly significant to me at that time, it meant a lot. This was a class where I journeyed through with them in the secondary school, I was their Year 7 coordinator. They endured me again as their Year 10 coordinator and then they were my final Year 12 class before I finished up at the school. It's significant to me because there was a point in time where I felt that I was not ever going to be a teacher and I didn't have what it took to be in that particular profession. I was in fourth year at university and... Lecturers deem it um, at a certain point that you are able to be let loose on classes out in the community in schools to practice your teaching practice. So in my fourth year, I was on a teaching round and it was a 20-week placement every Tuesday, every Thursday at a high school. And while I was on that placement, I had a supervisor and so I would go in, teach a class, come out and the supervisor would critique me on that particular lesson. Now I can remember the staff room, I can still remember this supervisor's name, I remember all the details about it because what she would do is give me a litany of negatives about how I had taught that class. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think I was really setting the teacher world on fire at that particular time. There was probably lots of things that I needed to improve on. But at that time, it might have been more constructive if she picked on one thing at a time and highlighted strategies for me to be able to improve. So, I remember driving so reluctantly every Tuesday and Thursday to that school 
and going through this process that was really undermining me. I was already very shy, lacking in confidence. I was a country kid and it was tough. And at that point I decided that I wasn't ever going to go into teaching, that I was going to finish my degree and head into a completely different career area. Unfortunately, my last teaching round was like redemption. I got a supervisor who nurtured me and the glimmer of opportunity came that perhaps I would go into teaching and here I am now still doing it. Words have the power to build, it up, build us up, don't they? And to tear us down. And I'm sure many of you as you're sitting here this morning can remember a time or a place or the person who might have unfortunately delivered discouraging words. But I hope you can all remember a time too or a person who came alongside you, who encouraged you and helped you to have the courage to do something that you might otherwise not have done. Like Scott, at that particular point in Year 12, those encouraging words from his mum that helped him to get through that year. Words have the power to heal, and they have the power to wound. But why do they have so much power? I know there's lots of reasons why, Um, it's a complicated psychological thing that's going on that I don't have all the answers for but there are times where um, words hurt more than other times. Sorry, I've just lost my little space here but I'm going to move along. A few smiles of encouragement would be helpful. (laughs) Um, This was pointed out a couple of years ago by a psychologist and social researcher. His name is Hugh Mackay and he wrote a book called What Makes Us Tick. And in the book he suggests that Australians, when you look at them really closely, have about ten basic desires that drive our behaviour. And everything that we do and everything that we can say can be narrowed down to those ten desires. Would you like to know what they are? Interested? We'll put them up on the screen. So this is according to Hugh Mackay, our ten desires. They're not in any particular order, he would say. Some of them are more dominant in our life at particular times than others not so dominant. There's no hierarchy, but he would say that first one there, the desire to be taken seriously probably is at the top for most of us most of the time, that we do like to be taken seriously. The desire for something to happen, deep down we can be resistant to change, it's, it's related to change, but deep down we do like things happening in our lives. Just not too much, perhaps. Thanks. So when we have our basic needs of food and shelter and 
other things like that met, these are the things he says that drive us. These are the things that we want fulfilled. And he says that they're never existing in isolation. They all wax and wane in their importance, um, as I said before. But they are intrinsic to the formation of our identity, our relationships with each other and also how we feel within ourselves. So where does the power of words come into that? Well, Hugh Mackay would say that it's critical that the words that are said about us and to us, they make a major contribution to how we feel those desires are being met. And so encouragement from the people around us is really important. At the very least, it's nice, isn't it, to receive a word of encouragement. It affirms us, it makes us feel good inside. All of us would like to receive perhaps an encouraging comment each day. And at its best, it encourages us or others to do extraordinary things. I'm particularly mindful at the moment, I've been following the journey of Shane Crawford, the ex-AFL footballer who is riding his bike from Melbourne across to Perth to raise money and awareness for breast cancer research. And although physically he might be able to complete that that gruelling distance, and he probably will this Thursday, I've observed at different times the way that even despite the isolation of the Nullarbor, that people have come alongside him and encouraged him. And it's been just the little clips that I've seen, just really um, emotional to see the effort that people have gone to encourage him on his journey. And I'm sure that it makes it a little bit easier to manage the pain of such an enduring thing to do. There is a person in the Bible who I think needed lots of encouragement and you might be a little surprised when I tell you who I think this person is. This was a man who had his ten desires all met. The person is Job. The Bible tells us that he was a blameless and upright man of great wealth. His great wealth consisted of seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep. Now, I'm impressed by that. So I grew up on a sheep farm and we had about 1,000 sheep, so 7,000 sheep. Even more impressive, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. I can't imagine 500 donkeys. And, of course, he needed a large number of servants to manage all that livestock. And he had one wife. But in a few short moments, his life was to radically change. So, within a few sentences in the Bible, four messengers come to Job. And each tells him of a devastating event that has obliterated each of his different forms of livestock and all his children. And if that isn't enough, then he's struck down with a rash that erupts into boils all over his skin and he starts to itch them continuously. 
Now, the book of Job is one that is usually spoken about in terms of where is God in the midst of suffering and the bigger question of faith. But I think we can learn some things out of this book about being peoples of influence and coming alongside and being encouraging to others. Job has three friends. There's a lot that they get right in encouraging Job at that particular devastating point in his life. There's unfortunately also things that get, he get, they get wrong and we can learn from that too. So firstly, we can learn that encouragement needs to be timely. Our encouragement needs to be timely. As soon as the three friends hear about Job's tragic situation, they come from each place that they're in and they, the Bible tells us that they set out to sympathise and to comfort him. And they find, even when they get quite a distance from Job, that they seem as barely recognisable after having gone through what he's gone through. And they stop and start to already weep aloud. They tear their clothes and then when they get to Job, they sit down with him in the dirt and they stay with him without saying anything for seven days. Can you imagine not saying anything to someone who's going through tragedy or a difficult moment in their life, not saying anything? I want to suggest this morning that there's times when it's best to say no words at all. It might be that we're tempted to rush in and fill the awkward void that exists in people's lives and there's no words that can explain the pain and the suffering that they're going through and to do so might actually even come across as a platitude. So these three friends, they sit for a week and they wait for Job to speak first and it's only then that they start to offer words of comfort. There's a balance though between speaking too soon and speaking too late. I I thought that perhaps none of us would really appreciate if we received a phone call saying, Oh, by the way, that thing that you did six weeks ago, that was pretty good. And then perhaps in my mind, and maybe you're not like me, but I'd be thinking, okay, six weeks have gone past. It wasn't so fantastic that you wanted to ring me straight away and tell me how great it was, but okay, you're ringing me now. I don't know, some people might be encouraged that the person actually took the effort after all that time to to encourage. But our encouragement needs to be timely. In Colossians we read these words. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation. Not put them down and not cut them out. Our everyday conversations are loaded with opportunities to build and encourage the people around us. And our focus really does need to be intentional and focused on the other person. 
The second thing we can learn from the story of Job is that our encouragement needs to be truthful. Job's friends spoke truth. They spoke fine, sound, biblical truth. But it was almost to the one extreme. They babbled along for 30 chapters saying everything that was biblically truthful but at times it actually hurt Job. I think truth applied at the wrong time in the wrong situation isn't truth. And at the end of the book of Job, God actually rebukes the three friends and tells them that perhaps the words that they said were too harsh. Our encouragement needs to be truthful. It can be hard to get the balance right though, can't it? We don't want to be as um, blunt as an axe. But on the other hand, our intentions are really good and honourable, aren't they? We want the person to feel good about themselves. But it's very tempting to slightly inflate or to go a little bit too much over the top. And this can be true when it comes to our kids. As a careers counsellor, I work with teenagers who've been raised in this current parenting environment that really encourages a positive self-esteem. And I think that's fantastic. I've, I've tried to do that, or David and I have tried to do that with our own girls. We want them to have positive self-esteem. But when it's gone to perhaps the furthest end where they've been told that they can do anything, anything career-wise, there comes a crisis point for many when the reality is actually very different. This week, the National Centre for Vocational Education and Research, they published a study and they looked at over 2,000 students and they found that there's a huge gap between their expectations and then the eventual reality of what they choose to do or are directed into as a career. And there's a huge disappointment that is as a consequence of that, that change in expectation on result. Now, they suggested there were lots of reasons for this and some of that was pointed at careers advisors, but more that there's not enough of us in schools or we don't get enough time. Um, the other factor, though, was squarely pointed at parents. Um, parents who inflate their child's achievements and abilities. Um, we see we perhaps need a balance in the, what we see with Flick, with his mother, who had identified that he had a particular skill in a particular area. She wasn't saying that he was fantastic at everything. She really identified his particular skill. But then we don't want to be like Flick's dad where it's so discouraging and stifles that ability, that God-given ability. It's not just with kids that we might do this too where we unfortunately inflate the truth, well-meaning though we may do it. There can be times where we do this with friends. Um, given their situation, we might say, oh, it'll all work out in the end or 
the gravity of the situation they're facing and the ongoing nature of it might mean that we say, oh, you're so incredibly strong. Maybe you've had those words said to you at times and in some ways they can be encouraging but in another way they're not so encouraging. They're well-intentioned statements but they, they don't actually convey to the person that you've really thought about the depths of the experience they're going through. It can sometimes translate to not really understanding the situation at all. So how do we get the timing right and how do we know when it's right to speak sensitively without compromising the truth? I'm painting a very difficult path, aren't I? Well, the third thing I think that we can learn from the story of Job is that we need to be trusting. And this is where I believe that God, the creator, transcends our ways and understanding of things. Unfortunately, not once did Job's friends consult God about what he was doing in Job's life. They spoke about God, but they didn't speak to God. And so in not trusting God, they missed an opportunity to make a positive impact on Job's life at a really critical time. By the way, the story of Job ends in a somewhat happy fashion in that Job has, or God restores all that Job has, not just replacing it for equal measure, but actually doubling it. So doubling his number of children that he and his wife go on to bear and then doubling the number of flocks and herds that he has. In encouraging the people around us, in being a person of influence and choosing to see the good, I believe that we need to trust in God. As the creator of each and every one of us, the one who knows and cares about our life, the one who has placed in each of us unique gifts and abilities, he knows how to best encourage his creation. A couple of weeks ago, Tim Pay spoke on a Sunday morning here at NCR and it was a talk that I found I probably won't ever forget because of the analogy that he used. He talked about God being the creator but in terms of God being an artist and that as the artist he creates each individual person and if we want to know about that each person individually, we need to consult the artist. If you haven't had a chance or you weren't here on that morning to listen to that talk, it's still available on the website to download and um, you might find that particularly helpful like I did. As a community here at NCR, we believe that God created each and every one of us, that he knows us, that he loves us deeply And he wants us to grow and change to be more like him. If we want to know about people in our lives, we need to ask the artist. I work with someone who teaches in our primary school and every morning without fail he gets up and he prays individually 
for every one of the students in his classroom. Can you imagine having your child in that class? He knows each of his students really well. He knows their gifts and talents and he knows how to draw out their strengths and encourage the best out of each one of them. And I know by reputation, and I'm in the secondary school, that his class really love him and thrive in that environment for that time. If I gave you a moment now and we trusted in God, whose name would he bring to your mind right now for you to be able to encourage this week? Is it a person in your family? Is it a person who you work with? It may even be a stranger that comes along your path this week. We all have opportunities to encourage. I've been very blessed in my life to be the recipient of timely, truthful encouragement at different times and quite critical times. And I know that it's made a huge difference in my life. There's been people who've known me really well and they've taken the time to pray for me and they've gently nudged me along into things that, where they could see potential and because of perhaps my own lack of confidence, I've not been able to see that potential at all. I've had the confidence perhaps to do things that I never thought I would do. If it hadn't been for a friend nudging me and saying, Viv, I think you really should apply for that careers advisor's job that's just come up. I think you might be good at that. I don't think I'd be in the job that I'm now five years later and really being blessed to have the opportunity to speak words of encouragement, hopefully timely, hopefully truthfully, into students' lives at different points. All of us have the capacity to make a difference. Perhaps today's topic has been a reminder of the importance of encouragement. And perhaps our prayer this morning or the prayer that I would pray for myself this morning would be make the most of the words of Colossians. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in my speech. May I have the goal of bringing out the best in others in every conversation. As a community this morning, our prayer could be, make the most of every opportunity. May we make the most of every opportunity. May we be gracious in our speech. And may we have the goal of bringing out the best in others in every conversation. Can you imagine a community where each of us was encouraged more, because I know this community does it very well, but more in our individual gifts that God has placed within each one of us, even more than we do now. I think that is really exciting.